0: Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. My name is Clay Wright, and I'm going to be here once again as your host. And I'm here with Pastor Jim Minling. Pastor Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's good to be here. Very good.
1: I'm I'm not doing great because my wife just, I put her on a, trip to pennsylvania this morning ah she's going to a conference so i'm, I'm a bachelor again
0: ah but yes. besides that
1: i'm okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> well uh it certainly is great to be having this conversation for any new listeners uh we're here at the cunning room floor to Keep having conversations about the scriptures and about what God is teaching us at Church of the Open Door uh, through the preaching of the word. And so we recognize every week there's plenty more to go into. And Pastor Jim and I were talking before starting the recording, and there's a lot to talk about today. So, um, As usual. As as usual, uh, we're we're in Luke chapter five. Just to recap a little bit, and we're sort of in the second half of the account where Jesus and Simon Peter are having this interaction. So, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus is teaching to the crowds. He steps back into the boat and uh, asks Peter to help him out a little bit, so they go off a little ways, so Jesus can speak well, why don't to the crowds. We just read the text.
1: We can we can read I mean, the text. Yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, go ahead and read it for us.
0: Yeah. So. Um, We'll pick it up. The The sermon was focusing on verses 8 through 11, but mm-hmm. I'll start. Where, where should we start reading? Back in verse 4, maybe? Okay. When he had finished speaking, he being Jesus, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water mm-hmm. and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught a large number of fish that their nets, such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled uh, for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus's knees and said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Mm. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish yeah. they had taken and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Mm-mm. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Mm. This is the word of the Lord.
1: <laughs> Thanks be to
0: God. Yeah. <laughs> uh That's such a fun little liturgy. I, uh, (laughs) yeah, that's very great. But, uh, yeah, so this is the text. It's a wonderful, wonderful passage that we've looked at over the course of two weeks and now focusing, focusing in on that last portion where there's this direct exchange between Peter and Jesus. Yeah. Um, now, you you made mention uh, of something early in your sermon where uh, because we, we've talked about The Chosen quite a lot on the show and mm. it just it was we pulled out some some things that we think they do helpfully. Yeah. But you mentioned there's in this uh, scene in particular, there's quite a few differences. Yeah. And so I wondered if you could bring us into I didn't have a chance to watch it and try to yeah. see if I could count. I think you mentioned 12 differences. maybe. 12. Yeah. But um, it sounded like you had spent some time thinking about that. Can you bring us into uh, what you're th- you what you think about there?
1: Yeah, well, um, I had um, I've been looking for some time in in Luke uh, for a good time to show a clip from the Chosen because mm. I'm such a big fan and, and I've made no bones about it in in uh, sermons <laughs> that I recommend it. I love it. I think it's fantastic. I don't think I've ever said anything negative about it. Maybe one one thing, mm-hmm. um, and I'm always surprised by the amount of people who either don't put their hand up or give me a blank look who after all the recommendations I've made still have not seen it mm-hmm. or actually people that I, I point blank have said, have you seen the chosen yet? And they're like, no, you know, I'm going to, I'm like, Oh my gosh, what, what are you waiting for? You know, Cause <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. And, um, so, uh, I, I thought this would be a scene that I would definitely want to show. Mm-hmm. It might be one of the most famous scenes in the Chosen, hmm. uh, at least one that's gotten a lot of press when they when they do um, you know like teasers and trailers and stuff for the Chosen. This is one of the scenes they show. Uh, it's definitely one that I love, mm-hmm. and um, and it's just it, it just captures this incredible miraculous moment in a really cool way. And so um, I I had Tim Gamble, our tech guy. I, I said early in the week, you know, hey, you know, cue that up. I want to show. You know, this part of the, this, how much of the video from this timestamp to this timestamp. And Tim got all queued up. And so then during the week, I, I was, uh, I, I watched the video again and it, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, that's not what said the text says. Mm-hmm. And that's not what the text says. And that, not that, not either. And, and all of a sudden I just started seeing all these different, so it wasn't something that I was, you know, studying necessarily. But just you know, because I was you know more increasingly familiar with the text, mm-hmm. studying it to preach it, I began to think you know more critically about you know how accurate is the depiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, one of the things that's going on with the chosen is that, the, and especially a scene like this, they are combining uh, you know some things from Mark, some things from Matthew. Um, you know maybe maybe even little thing from john so so it's kind of a compilation versus right. some of the jesus movies in the past you know like this is all based on the gospel of matthew or this is all based on the gospel of john and in some cases it's literally word for word you know mm-hmm. they're just giving a visual depiction while somebody while we're literally you're hearing every word from the scripture yeah. and that's got it's that's a cool um genre it's a cool uh approach that's not the approach of the chosen mm-hmm. and so you know just like we want to interpret the scripture based upon why it was written the purpose for what it was written i think it's also wise for us to remember when we come to something like the chosen it is not intended to be a replacement of scripture it's not intended to to perfectly depict everything that's happening in scripture it's an attempt to try to create some cultural context, some mm-hmm. visual context uh, for something that 's c- completely oral and written and uh, some people are actually against that from the get go right because they say if you put Jesus in a painting you put him in a drawing you put him in a film, you have broken one of the ten commandments you've you've created an image of God you know. Uh, you've created what's what's the commandment? Uh,
0: you shall not create any graven image yeah, before so you, me. You, so. yeah, it means I've you don't remembered. carve yeah. something, mm-hmm.
1: you don't sculpt something, and so right. if you do that, then you you know you're breaking the commandment. Well, to me, um, and when when the incarnation happened, you know God gave Himself a face. <laughs> mm-hmm. He gave Himself, you know, a a an image, and so now we know what Jesus looks like. At least they did. But you know, because God made Himself flesh, that's I think gives us permission to paint Him, draw Him, depict Him in a certain way. So yeah. that's just my opinion. So looking at this text, I thought, man, I don't know that I want to show this after all, because because it's so visual and visual mm-hmm. is so powerful. I'm afraid that that may dominate people's mind. And therefore, interpretation yeah. of the passage instead of the text. So, I against my previous you know desire, I decided not to show it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> here's here's a couple of examples. Uh, I wrote down a couple of things. Um, you know, the most obvious one is Jesus clearly calls Peter out into the deep. But if you watch the episode, it happens in the shallows. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Zebedee, the father, and James and John literally come running uh, across the beach and then into mm-hmm. the water, and they're standing in I don't know calf deep water, right? Helping these fish get pulled into the boat. Yep. You know, so that's one of the most. And because this series is called Into the Deep, that's that was the first thing I noticed. I'm like wow this kind of ruins the whole into the deep you know they're in the shallows actually um here in this um uh, text uh, peter calls jesus master uh, epistasis and then curious curious lord whereas in the chosen he calls him teacher um Uh, there's a difference there and there's a distinction there. And and I think it's, it's very common for people to call Jesus teacher Mm -hmm. and some people to even call him rabbi. And so it's, it's very biblical, very gospel centric to call Jesus rabbi or teacher so that there's, it's not a biblical problem, but it's a textual problem because Luke doesn't say that Peter called him teacher or anything like teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, then an, uh, another one was um, the chosen shows one boat being filled, whereas in the text it says both boats were filled. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the chosen has P- has Jesus saying to Peter, follow me. It's a beautiful, powerful scene, but that's not the text. That's in Mark 1, and that's in Matthew 4, and John 1 But not here in Luke 5, at least not with Peter. He says to uh, Matthew, Levi, later on, follow me. But in this account, in Luke 5, first 11 verses, which is the calling of Peter, Jesus doesn't literally say, follow me. I I understand that it does say in verse 11, and they left everything and followed him. But Mm -hmm. again, Jesus doesn't say, follow me in the text. Yeah. I alluded to this one earlier. Luke has Peter calling Jesus Lord, but the chosen doesn't. Mm-hmm. They just, just teach her. That's it. Um, uh, Dallas Jenkins, the executive director, puts all kinds of words in Peter's mouth, and, th- <laughs> and they're beautiful, and I think they're biblically, contextually mm-hmm. accurate. Yep. Um, um, maybe, maybe a little bit of a stretch with John the Baptist. But that's, that fits the chosen theme. But anyway, it's not, there's, there's certainly not anything anti scriptural or unscriptural about sure. it. It's just, again, it's expanding what's actually in the text. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there's a big one, uh, Dallas Jenkins puts in the mouth of Peter, you know, you are the Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. Where that's uh, John the Baptist is the only one that says that. And um, I don't know, I've never seen anything in the language of Peter. That would lead me to believe that he would say that. Yeah, it's not yeah. a problem. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Right, but uh, you know. Uh, anyways, you know so.
0: Sure. Yeah, there's all these little inconsistencies yeah. that they're not, you know, so, so tell us, you know, keep, keep going on the sense that so, so should we no longer watch this scene or or is there a new way that we can approach it? Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I absolutely would continue to recommend people to watch The Chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and the reasons I think I would give off the top of my head are some of the reasons that that are minister to me. hmm. Is uh, it does get me thinking about what does the text say? Right. Which is what I I want people to do. <laughs> you know, I want you to dig into the text. So mm-hmm. if it if it does that, it helps you to dig into it by virtue of of contrast. Great, you're you're digging into the text. Right. Uh, secondly, um, there you know all the places where it gets it right are very powerful. You know the the interchange where. In the in Luke it says he fell at his knees mm-hmm. and said, "Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man." Okay, you can read that in a very uh, "Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man," or you can read it more um, interpretatively because you know the, the text yeah. does not say. And his nose was running, and snot was running down his face, and mm-hmm. he had big tears in his eyes. All it says is blandly go away from me lord i am for i am a sinful man. So i think good interpretation is to show peter crying. Yep. Is to show peter wrecked. Mm-hmm. You know he, he he's ruined. He, for him to say go away from me. What's going on? Well, what's going away is the very human interaction of peter realizing his sin in the in front of another human being who also happens to be god but and there's a, this this dynamic uh communication happening between the two of them that is so powerful yeah that and the chosen captures i think pretty accurately how i can imagine peter saying you know go away it, it, it's emotional this is an emotional moment right and those emotions have to be read in. So anybody who says, I don't like The Chosen because it adds emotions. Well, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Are you trying to tell me that that this was set in in actuality without emotion? Right. So either you are supposed to supply that emotion or that context or Dallas Jenkins, the executive director, is all he's mm-hmm. doing is putting his in film. Yeah,
0: And sometimes I, we forget. I think that the scriptures and especially the gospels well, maybe not especially the gospels, but certainly the gospels were um, oral traditions before they were written down. Yes, and yes. so these were stories that were primarily told, not stories that were primarily read. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you're hearing this story, you know there 's there's there 's no director 's notes right they, they didn 't write it down like a script to be read right. um, but that might have been fair game potentially you sure. know for them to because because when you 're hearing a story part of what helps it to become memorable is the emotion that's yeah. given and, and the the tone and the timbre and all these absolutely. elements of you know public speaking absolutely which they were an, they were a much more oral culture and so for them it, it came naturally and they would they would uh, provide that you know mm-hmm. to to your point they weren't reading it the way that some Audio Bibles treat it, you know, where it's like, and then PETA came down into the, it's like, okay, well, that's, I, I appreciate the reverence maybe. Was but that your Max
1: McLean voice? It may, may have been, yeah. Uh, okay. the NIV,
0: I've been, I've been uh, a lot of times recently with my devotions, I've been listening to them while I run in the morning Okay. and cause I'm trying to get into running more and so i know those voices well and i'm like man guys come on we can do we can there's there's more to this than just that tone but i think another thing that's interesting is i'm hearing you talk about this is Mm -hmm. the interplay between different views of scripture that are represented in the conversation Mm -hmm. because i can easily hear someone saying yeah well hang on jim if I'm feeling God speak to me as I watch the chosen, then what's the difference between that and the scriptures? I mean, aren't they both pointing at some of the same historical realities mm-hmm. and that's a little bit of more of what, what we might call a neo-orthodox understanding of scriptures that it becomes it, the word of God, right? It becomes the word of God as God uses it to speak to me, Versus but it is the word of God. Exactly. Right. And so we're, we're not interested in the scriptures be in the sense that they connect us to a historical reality. We're not interested to them in the sense that they, uh, become a vessel for God to speak to us. Yeah. Although those things may be true, We're interested in the scriptures because we're convinced along a a very orthodox, traditional understanding of of what the word of God is that in it, God has revealed himself in the text, not through the text, at least not primarily through the text, not primarily through the events that the text connects us to, but in the very word. And that's why we nerd out about the Greek and the Hebrew because it, it matters to us because and, we believe that God is revealing himself in it.
1: Exactly. And, and Jesus says that these words are life. Mm-hmm. They don't point to life. They don't lead to life. Yeah. They are life. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's, We don't want to become uh, bibliolatrists, if if that's a word, you know, people who worship the Bible, but (laughs) we want want to get real close to it (laughs) Mm -hmm. versus the, um, I think, the often um, implied way I understand people is that they treat the Bible so casually. Well, it's just words, or it's just somebody's opinion, or it's just man's understanding. No, 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 no. That's not what we believe about right. the
0: Bible. Or, or even, and I'm probably just as guilty as this, of this as the next guy, but some of the ways we treat worship music, I think, uh, when we're listening to it alone, we can elevate it to the place of scripture because we can go through it to try to hear from God or mm-hmm. to, you know, I want to, I want to know what God will say to me. And so I shuffle your worship playlist and it's like, <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> you know, I, this is not we're, we're the, worship music and the it inspired scriptures are not the same thing. No. There are times where worship music is written out of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. It can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the other day, Psalm 27 was our reading. Shane and Shane has a word almost, mm-hmm. almost word for word. Yeah song based off of psalm 27 so i'm listening to that you know in my car but it's not even then it's not it's not the same as looking at the word of god
1: (laughs) it reminds me of a funny story this past week um our our devotions one of the days was was psalm 17 Mm -hmm. uh like two days ago three days ago um and um yeah two days ago and uh i was driving and being a very good Uh, citizen, instead of getting on my phone and pulling, up, I wanted to listen to the Scripture. Mm -hmm. So I just said to Siri, you know, uh, play Luke 17 in the NIV. And so Siri brings up a song called (laughs) Psalm 17, and it's this folksy bluesy acoustic oh, guitar that's so interesting uh, something sounds like something from West Virginia I mm-hmm. started singing Psalm 17 <laughs> I just was laughing <laughs> because it was like no that's not what I meant yeah 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 <laughs> the artificial intelligence didn't work very well there it's not what I mean by Psalm 17 in right. the NIV <laughs> yeah I I've,
0: I've, I've spent some time on YouTube looking at different Song like ver- songs that correspond to the biblical psalms. Yeah, and there's there's some there's some cool stuff. Oh, on there, there are. Absolutely. I mean, the psalms uh, were originally songs. Right. Mm-hmm. They were sung.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's we you know, we forget that the word psalms means song. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. But so anyway, there's yeah the, the chosen can be a helpful tool when it's pointing us back to the scriptures. Yeah. Uh, But when it's usurping or when we're using it in place of the scriptures, that's when it can get a little dangerous. Uh, Let
1: let me add another one that just came to mind. Um, You know, one of the things that God has given us, uh, I think part of what it means to be made in the image of God again, is the imagination that God's given us. And I I think that too often we leave out the role of imagination. And I know some people can get uptight when you say, You know, you should use your imagination when you pray, you know, you should use your imagination. And, uh, when you're visualizing scripture, like I, I, when I take people to Israel, one of the things we do is we go to a vineyard, we, uh, no, that's right. I keep thinking you were there and you weren't there with me, but I take people into a vineyard and I ask them Mm -hmm. to literally, you know, hold on to the vine, the branches and, and, you know, put it in your fingers. Now let me, as you, now keep doing that, let me read John 15 to you. Mm-hmm. And I just, without embellishment, without interpretation, without teaching, I just read John 15 as they're standing in a vineyard holding onto the vines. That is so cool. But I can't take everybody to Israel. So I sometimes will say, imagine, have you ever been in a vineyard? Have you ever, you know, uh, pruned a vine or, you know, a plant? And now imagine that as I'm reading John 15. Well, I think that's sanctified imagination. Then that's healthy ways of us imagining what's you know there was originally a context i'm of the mind that it's i think it's possible that that jesus when he was uh, literally walking from the upper room down through the kidron valley you've done this Mm -hmm. you've walked through the kidron valley and then up to gethsemane um, as there's some evidence that there that may have been uh, a, a vineyard Yep. and so is, is it possible that john jesus leaves the upper room recorded for us in you know like 13 14 and then you know, i think at the end of chapter 14 it says let's leave this place mm-hmm. and he walks down <laughs> through the Kidwin valley and maybe in the in the mm-hmm. moonlight there's the, he sees the, the the vines and then uses that as a teaching illustration mm-hmm. i can't prove this but it, it's very easy for me to imagine because yep. jesus says look at the birds he points to you know, look at the flowers so he used nature around him to teach and so since jesus used visuals to teach i think we're in the same spirit when we reproduce the context the visuals to aid to imagine to more deeply enter into the text absolutely and when when i do that it's very meaningful to me Mm -hmm. and this is one of the reasons i rant and rave about the chosen because it's been done so poorly by other film companies (laughs) uh and they do it so well both the character development Mm -hmm. and the cultural uh, backgrounds, you know, I, as, as as a student of the New Testament, I appreciate a lot of the things that most people don't see. Whether it's the architecture, or whether it's the, the landscape, or whether it's clothing, or whether mm-hmm. it's a a particular um, uh, ritual, you know, there's all these different kinds of things um, that are that are in the chosen that are incidental. Mm-hmm. They're not the point. They're not the feature, but they're included, and that's exactly what it would have been like, probably in the day of Jesus. Right. And even as far as you know, as k- kissing your fingers before you put them on a mezuzah as you walk in the door, you know, where is that in the in the scriptures? Well, it's in Deuteronomy six. You know, mm-hmm. actually, as a result of Deuteronomy six. <laughs> um, but um, these these are this is another reason. Then a final reason I think for me is is that there have been so many times where i have watched a episode of the chosen that i knew that text inside out i had prayed it i had studied it i mean i've memorized some of it i'd preached it i was very very familiar with the text and watching it the dramatization of it m- made me fall in love with jesus mm-hmm. all over again and uh, there are multiple scenes in The Chosen that I just weep, even though I've seen them four, five, six times. <laughs> and I have this little thing on in the back of my mind, will I cry again? And then it ambushes me. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just like the compassion of Jesus, you know, the power of his love, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's helping me worship Jesus because I see depicted the love, the compassion, the, the fierceness, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is that's. That's, that's capturing me, so you anything that anything that instigates worship is a good thing, you yeah, know? so I still encourage people to you know watch the chosen
0: yeah absolutely um there there's one thing you mentioned quite a bit earlier that I want to circle back around to okay. and ask you about um, looking back at the text there's an interesting contrast, and we were we were talking about this as well a little bit before starting the recording but um there's a contrast happening between the character of the crowds mm-hmm. and some of these individuals in the Lucan narrative. Yeah. And so uh, it, we were talking about how Peter, when he comes face to face with his need for Jesus, when he recognizes who Jesus is and, and his response to that is to say, is to say go away. Yeah.
1: And in, in contrast to uh, mm-hmm. in Luke chapter four, where the Capernaum people, say stay
0: exactly and, and yeah
1: that's a that's a just a, a fascinating uh contrast to see and to kind of tease out i think one of the things i was saying to you is mm-hmm. that i i considered turning that into a sermon all by itself is let's contrast these two you know absolutely opposite reactions jesus stay with us Versus Jesus, go away from me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's a fascinating study. So, the couple of things that just stood out to me when I was thinking about this was well, the reason why the people wanted Jesus to stay is because he was meeting all of their needs. You know, right. he was performing miracles. He was, he's like a genie. You know, he's, he's serving our interests. Mm-hmm. And there's no, you know, at this point, there's no challenge. There's no, um, uh, uncomfortableness. It's just me, me, me. I'm the center of attention. <laughs> Whereas for Peter, you yeah. know, in, in a way, he's also the center of attention, but not really. It's it's like he becomes in focus in light of the revelation of who Jesus is, mm-hmm. and now he is in a way the center of attention because he realizes his sin and. Uh, the, the, the idea of his sin being exposed becomes such a central thing it 's just too much overwhelming for him, mm-hmm. and so you know it 's classic we want a Jesus that meets our needs we don 't want a Jesus that points out our sin. Mm-hmm. You know stay with me, Jesus, and fill up my bank account, work out my whatever job I want, you know make me get the right parking spot you know <laughs> and and take care of me, Jesus, yeah. do all the stuff I yeah. want. Um, but Jesus, go away from me if you're going to point out my sin or my my pride mm. or my selfishness. I don't want that, Jesus. Mm. Which you know, brings me back to one of my favorite um phrases: is that we we in America we love a sh- a golden corral Jesus. Uh, we we <laughs> like to go and take a little bit of this, a little bit. Of, I don't want that mm. part of Jesus. I'll just leave that there.
0: Yeah. And I
1: it's it's what we call that is a smorgasbord or. Uh, a buffet, yeah, buffet. Yeah, right. So I get, mm-hmm. I can pick and choose what I want and what I don't want, and that's mm-hmm. what we do with yeah. Jesus all the time, especially right. in America. Of course, I'm more familiar with America, North America. Yeah, but.
0: it's yeah, and, and it's hard because there's a sense in which it's natural, mm-hmm. but it's the it's the part of our nature yeah. that has been corrupted. <laughs> <laughs> you sure. know, you know, we 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 want things to go well. Um, and I, that's a, yeah, that is a theme and that's I've why seen i am seeing more and more. That's
1: why I, I love to talk about sin as self-centeredness. Yep. I think that's a really, it's good Lutheran theology, but it's also, I think, really good a biblical understanding. And I, I think it helps people get away from sin only as being, well, I told a lie. I lusted. I coveted. Mm-hmm. You know, I broke a commandment. Yes, those are examples of sin, but but I think more clearly and more accurately, those are symptoms of a deeper yeah. problem. And that oh, deeper yeah. problem is I am radically self centered. I'm egocentric to the core. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's my biggest problem with God is that God claims that He should be the center. Well, no. I, I want to be the center mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh that's that 's sin right there, yeah, and then it shows up in me stealing and lying, coveting, lusting, and
0: other things mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah ah man it's so there's so much there because we want to it 's hard because the there are elements of the impulse that seem not bad, like hey i want to have a I want to have control over my life so that I can try to help things to go well and, and i think well and one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control
1: right so that right we're not, we're not saying be a passive amoeba who just doesn't have mm-hmm. any kind of a backbone that's that is not what we're talking right. about but it, it, i think you were implying it could it could leave some people to believe that's what it means to be a christian and when i give up control it means okay i'm just a passive amoeba who just you know
0: right. floats around i don't right. have
1: any direction and uh, no. One of the fruits of the spirit is self-control,
0: right? And it's, but it's all, of course, in service to King Jesus, Amen. and that's that's ultimately the the question is: Are you willing to submit to King Jesus, no matter what happens? Um, you know, come hell or high water. Yep. Uh, and that's a, that's a, and I I think one of the reasons we in America struggle with that a lot is because we have um, been blessed with a lot of comfort, honestly. <laughs> well said, uh,
1: Yeah. Well said. That's a good, I, that's a good insight. Clay.
0: When I was, yeah, when I was in high school, I, or maybe it was, it was early college. I spent a day like thinking about, man, if I was going to write a book or an article or something like that, just out of ideas that have been meaningful to me, what would I do? And one, one idea that I had that I still remember was, um, writing it on the theme of being comfortable enough to struggle and like how mm. our comfort and our uh, lack of existential threats in America have, have created a society where mm-hmm. we can create lots of problems or we can, we, we have, we have time to, you know, realize all of these deeper inconsistencies within ourselves. Mm. And it, You know, the the more time we have to sort of self-reflect, the more we realize, hey, man, there's not a lot. There's a lot going on. Yeah. And it's not all good. Sounds like a Shane Claiborne book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it could be. But um,
1: yeah. But um, back to what you were saying earlier, Mm -hmm. this whole idea of 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 sin and what I was saying, the the same thing is. I, that's one of the places I got pretty amped up in the sermon, and someone yeah. said to me afterwards, "They're like, man, you just you got really amped up about the whole sin. We don't appreciate the the power of sin, the magnitude of sin. Yeah, uh, do you think you got a little overexcited there?" I'm like, well, I, you know, I didn't watch myself, so I don't know, but I I think it's it's a pretty big problem that we underestimate, we underappreciate mm-hmm. um, the power of sin, the magnitude of sin, the gravity of sin. Yeah. And we're way too casual. So you know, I I haven't seen a video of myself, and I probably won't watch a video. But I, I if I was amped up, I, I think for good reason. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> and and I think, and this is actually right where where we want to head in the conversation because the reality is is that he who has been forgiven much loves much, mm. and we. Somebody famous said that. Somebody famous said that they did. Yeah. But, but where, or again, this is a lyric from that closing song where sin runs deep, his grace is more. And so Mm -hmm. it's only when we recognize the depth of our sin, how much we've been forgiven. Yes. I mean, that's what it, it births in us a love because, and so that's, that's what it's at, at the heart of Peter's response is, man, I'm, I'm, go away from me i'm i'm afraid yeah. in a sense well not only does it birth
1: uh, that's a secondary birth the mm-hmm. the love it, first and foremost it births a deep repentance yes. a, a true repentance and i think we also as a country struggle with that i think mm-hmm. we think i'm sorry equals i repent and you may say sorry and feel sorry but that does not equal repentance right it's uh,
0: yeah it's possible to say I'm sorry in resignation yeah you know, mm-hmm. I'm sorry but I mean that's the kind of quote unquote apology that's there's no willingness to change right yeah
1: <laughs> or I'm or I'm sorry for the consequences mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry uh, that this happened um, but that's just not a, that's not what repentance is repentance is, is is this being you know I use the word ambush before it's being ambushed by um, a, a need for a completely deep change, a hundred and eighty degree turn. I, you know, it's a change of mind. It's a change of of perspective. And I, I realize that you know I have offended a holy God. I have done wrong. I have committed a sin, and and I own that. Versus mm-hmm. the, the the previously, my mind was, you know, take care of me. I'm I'm important. I'm, I'm egocentric. I'm in, as it, repentance is to change my my mind about God, about sin, about me, about what I've done, and, and then and to you know own that and um, and to turn. That's 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 a huge part of repentance. You can say I'm sorry, but never change direction. Mm-hmm. Never turn from your sin. Mm-hmm. And one of the deep parts of what repentance means is to turn from that course of action turn from that way of looking at god or me or people or this this action and to turn towards god and um now we're getting to the to the crux of what repentance is yeah and so seeing my sin births deep repentance Mm -hmm. and i i really think that there are some people who have not been um confronted by their sin deeply enough and so their repentance is a shallow repentance it's more mm. of a sorrow versus and even even a remorse yeah which is more emotional but still has not quite reached repentance
0: right um, and, and of course that's one of the it's an ans- and it's a, it's an answer to a question that I wanted to ask which is you you said at one point Everyone needs to have a moment where they mm. are gripped by mm. the depth of their sin. Right, yeah. Or the depth of their sinfulness. And I think one reason why that is is because it's what leads to repentance. Yes. But, um, you know, how, I, I think someone could also ask because we have some really incredible, I think, Good Friday services that help us to grasp the depth and the gravity of sin. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. And yet, a lot of time I've heard a lot over the years. People ask, "Man, is that is that healthy to uh, periodically return to trying to get a grip on yeah. the depth of our sin?" It's a fair and, question. And how, you know, how do you do that in a healthy way? Is it should it just be a one time thing? Mm-hmm. Um, can you can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Definitely. And I think um, I would answer this question based upon the person that I'm talking to mm. because there are some people who I would say, um, can get mired in almost, if I can use this phrase, self-flagellation mm-hmm. and beating myself up again and again, uh, kind of like in the spirit of, of some of the, uh, I was going to say caricature, but I think it's actually happened. Where people would—I shouldn't say—I think it's—I know it's actually happened. Where people would would flog themselves, would cut themselves, would do physical damage to themselves as a way of mortifying the flesh, as a way of, of you know, me feeling the effects in my body of the the effects of sin. So mm-hmm. I—that's the way I. It's a—it's a real Catholic thing for some Catholic orders and i think it got way way out of control and it became almost a coping mechanism mm. for dealing with my sin so instead of it throwing me into the grace of god i am stuck in this self centered when i'm oh we're on camera so I'm, you know this um, um let me pause and say Martin Luther defines sin as self turned in on itself. Mm -hmm. And so when I try to picture that, you know, it's like you turn your nose towards your navel and and you're so focused on yourself, self turned in on itself. It's a fantastic uh, um, definition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if I'm, you know beating myself flagellating myself you know cutting myself hurting myself so that i can feel the gravity of my sin that to me sounds more like self turned in on itself because yeah. what the gospel teaches us is there's no mortifying of the flesh that can take away your sin you know it's it's the grace of god so god only convicts us of our sin and points out our sin to bring us to grace yeah and to to realize no sin is a really big deal don 't mm-hmm. treat it lightly right um, but grace is even a bigger deal so based upon a person's personality type or based upon their you know just kind of maybe their own journey i I might answer this question differently because mm-hmm. there are some people who are so flippant, so casual about their sin, they need to do a lot of self examination yep. and they need to really come to terms with. The depth of their sin, whereas another another person I would be talking to. I you know I know them really well, and I know that they're actually really hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. I would not say to that person, "What you need is a retreat. Yeah. We need to go away and really do some self examination of your of your heart." You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would I would answer that question based mm-hmm. upon the person's. So, you know, you know, one yeah. person needs more. One person needs less.
0: Yeah, the rod and the staff. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I've, I've yes. I probably have mentioned this on the podcast yeah. before. but you have. So helpful to me, yes. because I. Uh, identify with one of those camps and not the other, and so I need to be careful. I know what one want but I'm not. <laughs> you, and as a as a minister, yeah. you you need to be careful because if you're uh, you very flippant with sin, or you know you're you're you err on the side of not being as sensitive. Then you can you know that you need the rod. You're like, man. I sometimes I need to have that hardness broken down, and so you can see everyone as a person who needs the rod. Right. Uh, versus on the other hand, if you're a person who is feeling like you're always down in the ditch, and you need the the staff to guide or to lift up. Yes. And you can always use the staff to guide and lift up. And then you run into a person who's hard hearted and they're like, what are you doing? Stop. <laughs> this is, this is, it feels too soft to you're, me. You're coddling sin. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. But also, and there's, there's another thought I had while you were talking about the self flagellation that it's, it's interesting to me because in the old Testament, as we're reading through, we just read about, um, Prophet of Baal. No, not the prophets of oh. Baal. Well, well, yes, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I was more thinking of the servants of Hezekiah going out and meeting the people who are yeah, and this. Syria. There's a speech. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And the servants of Hezekiah, the king of Israel, they come back and they tear their clothes. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very, very common to see people tearing their clothes, yeah. putting ashes yeah. on their heads yeah. as a sign of mourning, yes. as a sign of yes. severity. And mm-hmm. so mourning and severity is fair game. Mm-hmm. The differences between them and the pro- prophets of, ba- of Baal is they're tearing their clothes, they're putting ash onto their body, whereas the prophets of Baal are mutilating their bodies. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's and not I, a godly impulse to mutilate no. the image of God.
1: And, and also, they're doing it to get the attention or yes. try to get the attention of yeah. their fake God, mm-hmm. whereas that is never, as far as, well... I should be careful because I'm sure there's been a lot of Catholic writings I haven't read, but some of the Catholic writings that I have read about this idea, it's not been to get God's attention, right? (laughs) Right. You know, so somehow he, you know, sees you. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's not been the motive. Now that may have descended into that as folk theology takes
0: over, right? But but a positive Mm -hmm. example in the in the Roman Catholic Church is. I, in Ash Wednesday, they they put ashes on their foreheads as a reminder of their sinfulness, their yeah. brokenness, yeah. the you know, the imminent reality of death for all of us. I think that's there's some fair game yes. elements to that, and that's been the motivation behind uh, the, our Good
1: Friday services that you've mentioned. Uh, you know, when I first brought that kind of focus to the Good Friday services of Church of Door, mm-hmm. I got a, a significant amount of pushback. Mm. People felt like I was being too Catholic. You know? And even some of the worship leaders, uh, they wanted to rush through the focusing on the sin to get to the resurrection. And I, I said, I, I, I don't think that we're appreciating the significance of Good Friday if mm-hmm. we rush to the resurrection. And and I'm all about the resurrection, you know, absolutely. But nobody who was experiencing Friday at the cross was thinking resurrection. There was no hope. And Mm -hmm. so um, I don't want to go into Good Friday or any other kind of exercise just for the morose nature of, you know, being down. No, it's so that we can more fully appreciate resurrection day. Yeah. and the power of the cross, and again the gravity of our sin you know, i i th- I think it's good for us to remi- remind ourselves what jesus went through mm-hmm. um i don't think that's morose mm, I, yeah. think, I think um And, you know, of course, this is, this is, you know, reflected in some of the songs that people have written that we still sing, you know, when I survey the wondrous cross, what an amazing song. Mm -hmm. Well, that song takes us back into the agony of that moment. Oh, sacred head now wounded. You know, these, these songs that, that, you know, recapture some of that.
0: And even, I mean, it's called for in scripture, you know, consider Mm -hmm. him Yes. look to Jesus on the cross. Mm hmm. Uh, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Yes. Uh, in your battle against sin, you have not yet struggled to the point of shedding blood. Right. I think those are no I think Hebrews. Hebrews 12. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm also remembering this prayer from the Valley of Vision, which is a, a, a book of prayers written by a bunch of Puritans. And it's called Yet I Sin. And there's a line in it that's considering our sinfulness and it's praying work in me a more lasting repentance. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's great line. That's the, the drive yes. back to, yes. Um, that's, that's part of the benefit. And so I, I think um, it is, it is healthy. I, I, I think so uh, to periodically return and to remember, um, uh, go ahead, finish your sentence. But I think it obviously can get, can be overdone as well. Yeah.
1: And I think, don't forget, we're we're talking about a sermon that was preached on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So the nature of preaching should include um, reminding people of the gravity of sin. The nature of preaching is declaring the gospel, declaring Mm -hmm. what happened on the cross, declaring the nature of sin, and... Uh, inviting the Holy Spirit to use that declaration of the gospel in all of its fullness to convict new people of their sin and to convict uh, people who have gotten casual about their sin of their sin mm-hmm. again, so we can receive forgiveness. You know, drink deeply of His forgiveness, His grace, and so uh, the, the very nature of preaching itself almost you know requires. If, if there's never any sermons about sin it's gravity it's the fact that our sin put jesus on the cross i'm I'm like well you have a crossless gospel you know yeah exactly you don't even need the gospel Mm -hmm. the gospel is not necessary if there's no sin right or if sin is a small thing Mm -hmm. you know if it's just a self-improvement plan we don't need the gospel we just need some good psychology
0: that's right yeah (laughs) yeah and and Another way I've heard it put is that the problem of sin is a part of the irreducibly complex gospel. Mm-hmm. You, you can't absolutely you can't remove that element because it makes the rest of it nonsensical.
1: There's no such thing as good news if we haven't first heard of something called the bad news, mm-hmm. yeah. right?
0: Yeah, that's 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 really wonderful. Um, and, and so there's another element of. Uh, Simon Peter's response to Jesus that I was thinking about as I was, as I was listening to the sermon on Sunday and it's similar to what we've been talking about, but it's the interplay between Simon Peter's response and then Jesus saying, don't be afraid, Mm. don't be afraid, Peter. Mm. And yet throughout the scriptures, there's this theme of the fear of God, which Mm -hmm. is used exclusively, I think exclusively as a positive phrase that, you know, in, in the Proverbs, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning yeah, of wisdom. wisdom. Yeah. Uh, and 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 yet we, you have these moments where Peter seems to be having some f- fear of God in a sense. And mm-hmm. Jesus says, don't be afraid. So mm-hmm. how how do we you know, what was what was inappropriate about Peter's response or was yeah. it was it appropriate? And how, how can we understand this idea?
1: I, I think it was appropriate mm-hmm. given. If I can use this phrase, given the moment it was in in the continuum of salvation history and the impact that <laughs> when we talk yeah. about salvation history we're talking about mm-hmm. the fact that you know the Old Testament looks toward the cross yes the the gospels. Describe the cross and the epistles kind of look back and explain the cross Mm -hmm. and the fact that that God has been working redemptively in the world really from the, the very, very beginning, even with just some hints about redemption. So so, you know, salvation history started with with humankind. And it is it's a storyline that goes throughout the whole scripture. Mm-hmm. There's a history there, and it has some, you know, mountaintops, and, you know, uh, Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, the uh, Isaiah 53, describing the suffering servant. Uh, you know, some Old Testament things. You know, King David and the, the promises made to him. Yep. The, the Messianic Psalms. And then, obviously, in the New Testament, the story of Jesus. So... Uh, in the cross and resurrection, so at this moment in salvation history, Jesus has not died on the cross, mm-hmm. um, and Peter, like most Jews then, and like many people today, had a, 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 an incomplete understanding of who God was, right? Because Jesus came to show it. John 8 and one tells us that Jesus came to reveal the Father, expose mm-hmm. the Father, give us a more accurate understanding of who the Father is. Well, that is that is happening in Luke five, but it hasn't happened yet it's just the very beginning of jesus unveiling revealing let me show you what god is really like yeah yeah and so so therefore there's great terror of judgment because if i am exposed as a sinner this is what's happening in peter then i should be judged if i have seen god i should die i think one of the big fears that peter was experiencing was a, was a, a righteous fear of being judged. Mm-hmm. Because th- th- when sin is exposed in the presence of a holy God, judgment is what is expected. Again, this is why we need to understand these things. That's why grace becomes a surprise. Mm-hmm. Grace becomes this what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> grace? You know. But for us, it's like, yeah, you know, after you sin, you get grace. You know, we 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 lose all the wonder. Of grace, because we we understand that Jesus is showing us the grace of God, that God is a God of grace, and so we expect it, and then go from expecting it to taking it for granted, and and we don't we don't get surprised by mm-hmm. grace, we don't capture the the beauty and wonder. So so this is why I love this moment with Peter. What he is ex- expecting is judgment, and that's right. You know, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, that's true and right. This is what Romans is all yeah, about. Yeah. You know, and so I love that with Peter. And this is something that I, again, left out of the sermon because, you know, I just only have so much time. But, um, this is right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for Jesus to, uh, or for the Holy Spirit to reveal who Jesus is, to reveal who Peter is, and then to reveal his great need for grace, you have to walk through this these steps. And mm-hmm. I think Jesus is not saying, you know what, I, I, let's look at the text here. You have your Greek, um, where's my glasses? Greek? Yeah. Can, yeah. Let's look and see if that is an imperfect, um, oh, is, man. is he saying, stop being afraid? Um, ah yes or is he just is it a, an, an aorist tense um, I, I I I don't remember let me look at that because that if he's saying stop being afraid Well, oh, when Peter saw this he fell at Jesus feet go away from me Lord I'm a simple man uh, okay uh, don't be don't be afraid um, that's um, um, nope that's not a stop uh, don't no longer be afraid right uh, shoot, that would have been cool if it was. But um, it's it's a command to, you know, s- stop being, stop, stop, uh, don't be afraid. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I think what Jesus is doing is actually recognizing Peter's valid fear yeah. and then correcting it and immediately then offering grace and a future. By the very next words being from now on, you know that's a different version of you know go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have a future because yeah. of grace. That's what grace does. Grace doesn't just forgive your past; mm. it gives you a future. That's that's a pre- that's a sermon right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know we love to talk about grace forgiving our sin and, and washing mm-hmm. away our past, but we should talk more perhaps about the future that it brings so, uh, automatically because of the power of grace, I now have a future. Yeah. And that's what Jesus is saying to Peter from now on, what? From this moment of grace mm-hmm. that we've, yes, we recognize you're a sinful man, but don't be afraid. Your sin is not going to lead to judgment because I'm here to forgive you of your sin. Whew, I'm getting excited.
0: Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, I've I've always, the, the best explanation of, of, the, of the fear of God that I've ever received focuses on how God has every right to judge us when we sin, and, and that's, that, that can be like a healthy fear. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet the love of God Mm -hmm. demonstrates that he chooses not to destroy us and cast us off. He chooses to welcome us in. And so every, every time we sin, we can remember this reality that every time we sin, God by all rights could send us away. Yeah. And yet he chooses not to. Yeah, he which, chooses not to. Amen. Yeah. That's exactly it right. Which brings us back into God doesn't into owe worship. us yeah.
1: anything. Mm-hmm. You know, he has to forgive us. Well, no, he doesn't. He chooses to. Yeah. You know, love is a decision.
0: Right. Yeah. That, that's that's awesome. And then, of course, we have that verse in, I think it's First John, that um, there's no fear in love because mm-hmm. perfect love casts out yep. fear. Fear John. has to do with uh, with punishment. is a Punishment. Yeah. Yeah, but um,
1: yeah, and so I think it's the same thing that, that Peter is saying, uh, or that Jesus is saying about Peter. Yeah, you, mm-hmm. you're expecting punishment. You're expecting judgment, and and you're right. That's yep. what you deserve. <laughs> right. You're a sinful man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um. So there's a there's a couple other questions I wanted to get into that have to do with uh, what you talked about as sort of the more traditional or, or uh, a, a, another common way of interpreting the last words of Jesus to Peter in the text, which mm-hmm. is from now on, mm-hmm. you know, from now on, from this, point of, from this point of grace, like we were just talking about, I'm going to make you uh, fishers of men and then the response of the now disciples where they leave everything and follow Jesus. Yeah. So there's two elements here. The first is, uh, Jesus saying, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And and you made made some comments about that. So that that's the first one. And then the second is they left everything. Mm -hmm. And so in, in terms of the first, um, is there more than meets the eye here with Jesus's invitation to become a fisher of men? Okay. Uh, is that supposed to serve as an, an illustration to us, or are we supposed to dig deeper into that? And mm-hmm. you made an argument about this in your sermon, but mm-hmm. bring us more into that a little bit. Yeah.
1: Um, I preached a sermon one time uh, in the discipleship series where I, it was based on either Matthew 4.19 or Mark one seventeen. That's the sister passage of this, where Jesus saw them clean their nets and called them and said, from now on you'll be fishers of men. Mm-hmm. And I I said, this passage is not about fishing, probably ten times in the sermon. It's not about fishing. It's not about fishing. It's about following. Mm-hmm. And I think preachers and, uh, and commentators and teachers have... Turned this passage and the one in Mark four and I'm sorry Mark one and Matthew four into a, a fishing passage and and they've 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 and, and trying to understand what does fishers of men mean I think they've emphasized too much and so you know I've heard hmm. pastors say you know you got to put the bait on the hook you know even though in Matthew Mark and Luke it's very clearly not <laughs> hook and line fishing it's net fishing there's no hook you know but yeah. they just you know read it right in there and you know, and there's bait and so you need to it's you know bait and, and hook people you mm. know and it's like oh my gosh whoa, whoa whoa you are way overextending this simple illustration and i think one of the mistakes they're making is that they think that they're explaining what fishers of men means by c- looking for a classic similar, similar comparison. Well, what do we know about fishing? Well, I happen to know a lot about fishing. So let me take all my interpretations about fishing, especially in America in 2023, and in push, put, put them, read, read that into the mm-hmm. text to help you understand what Jesus meant by <laughs> fishers of men. And of course <laughs> we call that eisegesis. Mm-hmm. That's not exegesis. Right. And, it, and it, it, but people get away with it here because it's so popular. So what if instead I thought, do we pulled back and looked at this? What if Jesus is actually making a comparison of contrast, and um, you know, just like here's another classic example. Many people misunderstood for years the the story in Luke. Um, is it Luke 11 where Jesus talks about the person who goes to a judge and pleads to the, to the uh, judge mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, and then uh, uses that as an illustration to talk about I mean, when you go to your father in heaven, you know, he will forgive you your sin and mm-hmm. he'll hear your prayer. And people who sometimes will turn that into a, God is depicted as the judge who you have to twist his arm to get him to hear you. And finally. If you plead long enough, he'll give you justice. No, that parable is not, and it's, that story is not a story of similar similar similarity, it is a story of contrast. Mm. God is in contrast to the judge. Mm. And when you see that, it completely opens up the story to a different interpretation. And I think the same thing is going on here is that Jesus is is creating a contrast of yeah, wow. of we're, we're leaving that world. We're not there's not a continuation of it. We're leaving that world. And, the, you know, as, as I spelled out, the things that you focused on are going to be different. Now you're going to focus, instead of fish, on people. And, and I just pulled out a bunch of different contrasts <laughs> that oh, yeah. um, that help us understand how he was using that figure of speech. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so Jesus, when they when they put down their nets, Jesus didn't say, no, no, bring those. We just got to expand them. <laughs> right. You know, he wasn't i a... <laughs> I'm going to show you how to throw nets over people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. And, and then I got more
1: mileage out of that. By saying I, I personally think that if, if he had come on a bunch of, of construction workers or accountants or you know others, he, he might have used a metaphor that fit their world. Sure. You know, because nowhere else does Jesus use this language of fishes of men. Mm-hmm. He doesn't remind them, you know, and guys remember we're fishing for men here, you know, let's let, let's get back to this main metaphor. No, it was a metaphor that fit the moment. They've got nets in their hands. they smell like fish they're they're standing around or in boats and jesus just geniusly uses the world they understood to say this is you know gonna help you see how i'm launching you into a whole new world right and and, and, you know and and there's also the contrast of you know you used to know a lot you know know, everything there is about fishing but you don't know nothing about people, so I'm going to teach you. That's why I like Matthew and Mark's version. I think they say, "I will make you." He says, "I will make you to be fishers of men." And, and the word "make" there, I think, is "poeo." Mm-hmm. The word "shape" and "form." Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to create, you know, and shape. And that's a good discipleship word. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, to to turn you into something different than what you are now.
0: Right. Right. You know, yeah. And so then the the second element in that <laughs> it, it, it exchange toward the end of the passage is. In response to Jesus, they, they left everything. Leave, they leave everything. Yeah. And I, th- I think you mentioned this is one of the life group questions as well. But are we supposed to leave everything to follow Jesus? Yeah. Um, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> That's how I would answer that. And
1: again, um, you know, there are so many sayings of Jesus that can only be properly interpreted in their context. And so, um, you know, the, the, Jesus says to the rich young ruler, you know, go, you know, uh, uh, well, let's back up. He's, he says to him, you know, um, obey the commandments, mm. which I don't think means obey all 613. I think it means obey the, the main commandments of love God and love people. Mm. Well, I've done that. And Jesus must have smirked. Okay. Well, you know, if you then you want to be perfect, go sell everything you have and get to the poor. Why? Because Jesus realized that that was one of his ways of not loving God or loving people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He loved his stuff. And so, you know, Jesus goes right for the, the, what's the, uh, the jugular? The jugular. Thank you. <laughs> you were reading my mind. Yeah. And so to him, he needed to leave everything. Um, and, you know, for the mm. disciples, if they're going to physically follow Jesus because now we're today we're not talking about physically following a person, you know, we're talking about following a Jesus we can't see. So this is why we struggle sometimes with following today because it's it's harder. In those days it was really clear. If Jesus is walking out of this room, then it's real easy for us to see who's following him. If clay gets up and follows Jesus, clay is following Jesus. If I sit on my butt, I'm not. It's, it's real simple. Yeah. Well, Jesus is not physically in this room. And he's not walking out the door. And, and so what does it mean to follow him today? Mm-hmm. And so for those fishermen... For them to follow Jesus, they had to leave yeah. their nets and the fish and their father and everything mm-hmm. because they were being called into this discipleship relationship that I think may be the best word today, this apprenticeship relationship where in order to be an apprentice, I got to be around the master. In order for me to be a disciple, I got to be literally around him mm-hmm. because the way I think the word disciple is being used in the New Testament, it, it means to to physically follow so that you can learn, so that you can become like your master. Right. And so you take one of those out, and you don't have New Testament discipleship. And so, yes, they had to follow Jesus to be his disciple, to be trained by him. Uh, but today... What I need to leave is, and this is why I would say, I know I don't need to leave my job in order to follow Jesus, but yes, I need to leave anything that is the center of my life. Mm. And so clearly, fishing was the center of their life. It was how they made a living. It was they they lived you know, there. And so, um, in in that respect, everyone needs to leave. And leave, <laughs> you know, needs mm. to leave. The, what's their idol? What's their focus? What they're living for, in order to follow Jesus. And I think one of the reasons we struggle with following Jesus today is we don't know. You know, if I'm not supposed to leave my job, then how do I? Then what do I leave? And how do I leave? I don't know how to do that. Yeah. So I therefore I don't know how to follow Jesus. And I think it's up to us as preachers and teachers to help spell that out.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. It is really interesting. And and you get this theme of, of leaving everything comes up a couple other times mm-hmm. in Jesus' conversations with the crowds and with his disciples. Yeah. And there's there is a sense in which we forsake everything else for the Absolutely. sake of following Jesus. But pick up your cross and carry it daily. Right. Mm-hmm. And and we're even forsaking ourselves in that sense. Mm-hmm. We're dying to self. Yes. But I think in our world it's it's easier in the sense that we're not physically leaving it all behind, but it's also more complicated in the sense that it really gets right down to the heart of things. Yeah. Is Jesus on the throne of my heart or is my family? Right. Uh, you know, he, Jesus famously says, if anyone does not hate their you know, father or, or mother, mother. Whatever, whatever it is. If anybody doesn't hate their family, then they're not worthy of me. Well, what is, what is he saying? Mm-hmm. I, I believe he's saying that if your family is sitting on the throne of your heart, I if you're trying you're right. to yeah. invite me to uh, come into that dynamic, it, there's going to be a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not actually following me. You're, you're trying to fit me into yes. something else. That's yes. driving I, I, the, the I course of things. That. And so it's, It's easier because we we can stay with our families, but it's harder because we have to ride this tension of constantly resubmitting ourselves to the lordship of Jesus, Mm -hmm. um, which is also known as living surrendered. I like
1: that phrase. It's a good one. We should use that more often.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So a final, final question here as we're wrapping up a little bit is um, the the whole sermon centered around this concept of revelation. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this a little bit when we were talking about um, uh, different understandings of the scriptures way at the beginning of our time. But um, in this interaction between Jesus and Peter, God is revealing himself to Peter. And that's what causes the tension in the interaction. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's fair to ask and and to wonder. So if, if... if that's helpful, you know, we, we want to know God better. We want to get to know Jesus mm-hmm. to quote a previous sermon series, mm-hmm. but how is God revealing himself today? Uh, where can we come into contact with mm-hmm. God's self revelation?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it reminds me of a line from, uh, is it Anne Lamont or, uh, a famous novelist? Uh, you know, when people realize who God really is, everything can become a burning bush. Hmm. interesting <laughs> you know, so the god is can use anything of course that's the, it's a picture of moses meeting god and a god revealing himself to moses in a bush that was burning in exodus chapter three hmm. uh, so everywhere the answer to your question is you know everywhere uh and yet um th- all of those places where god can meet us to reveal to us all have to be measured against, tested against his ultimate revelation in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. which we see depicted in the word in the in the scripture. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a real preachery answer. But, you know, the best place for us to find out what God is like is in the word of God, in the scriptures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the best place in the scriptures is. Is the Gospels because that's where God is most fully revealed. You know, we quoted Hebrews earlier today. You know, uh, it's either Hebrews one or Hebrews three. One, um, I think it's Hebrews one. Yep, um,
0: right at the you beginning. Know, in the
1: past, you know, God has revealed Himself. You know, through prophets and things like that. But in this day, through His Son, mm-hmm. who's the exact radiance of the, of God. You know, so so Jesus most fully again John one. 18, he most fully reveals and most accurately reveals yeah. who God is. Mm-hmm. So, any, and I'm going to put air quotes here, any revelation that somebody gets or may get, you know, needs to be measured against the person and character of Jesus Christ as recorded for us in the scriptures. Yeah. But not only the person and character of Jesus as recorded in scriptures, but scripture itself. Mm-hmm. But in my favorite, Part of the scripture in this discussion is the the scripture that tells us what Jesus is like Mm -hmm. and whether it's the gospels recording or whether it's the epistles, you know, you know, Paul does a phenomenal job of revealing things about Jesus, even though he never walked with him as Mm -hmm. his disciple. Um, which I like because that means I don't have to be a physical first century disciple in order to follow Jesus in order to know a lot about Jesus, you know, because even though Paul was only a couple of years after Jesus, he was after Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so he is the first person who had to not only figure out how to follow Jesus. You can't see, but to teach others. Yep. And that's what you and I do, Clay. Mm -hmm. We had to figure out how to help people follow a Jesus. They can't see. And well, you know, Paul keeps pointing us back to Scripture, pointing us back to, you know, even the Old Testament, because mm-hmm. the Old Testament prefigures Christ. So, you know, Paul models for us. What do you do? You go back to Scripture and you, you seek the, the revelation that the Holy Spirit gives in Scripture. Um, and then, uh, and then you walk with Him. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and, and revelation, one of my favorite sayings throughout my ministry is that revelation is an invitation to intimacy mm-hmm. or revelation is an invitation to intimacy. And, and whether that's God revealing himself to Moses in Exodus three, which is, Hey, Moses walk with me, or whether that's God revealing himself to Abraham in Genesis 12, Hey, be, you know, walk with me, mm-hmm. uh, or whether that's God revealing himself in Jesus. God doesn't reveal himself just for the show. It's his, his first step to say, this is what I'm like, and I'm inviting you to know me, to yeah. walk with me. Mm-hmm. And the more we walk with God, the more revelation we get, the more we discover what his character is like, who he is. And so more revelation is given to those people who walk with God and who know God and who obey God. And likewise, uh, uh, less revelation and more unclear understanding happens when we don't walk with God, when Mm -hmm. we just come to church occasionally, or we just hear people preach about God. Um, no, we need to walk with God. We need Mm -hmm. to have a living relationship. And, um, as we do, then, then small R revelation happens. I say small R because we Mm -hmm. we want to make a distinction between people who say today that capital R revelation, which is what on the, on the, um, level of scripture is still happens today. No, no, there's only small, it's revelation. Yes, Mm -hmm. but it's small R. It's not the authoritative um, inspired word of
0: God that we build yeah. our lives mm-hmm. and
1: doctrine around. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you made that distinction because that's one that could be hard to yeah. grasp, uh, especially when we only have a couple minutes to talk about it. But it's it's not the kind of revelation that leads to doctrine. It's the kind of revelation that leads to intimacy. Yeah. And, and that, you know, there's not. We those we, aren't totally separate. Yeah, we don't
1: mean to, to separate those two, but that we mm-hmm. want to distinguish between the two. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. The, the, there's an authoritative kind of revelation, but then there's the fact that God is pleased to reveal himself, right? Yeah. He wants to be known by us. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that, you know, like like you can think of some quote unquote prophets throughout the years who would say, I've found a new revelation from God, like men like Joseph Smith, right? right. where it, you're they're They're <laughs> changing things about, the fundamentals of the faith about what we believe about God. But then there's um, beautiful moments of, of people saying, man, I feel like God has revealed something about himself to me. Mm -hmm. That's not, it's not new, but it's, and now it's mine. It's like, it's very personal. Yes. Uh, And I think that's, that's the kind of beautiful, you know, like when, whenever, whenever I say, which I say seldom, but if I say God spoke to me, Mm -hmm. it's not this, you know, God didn't say actually, you know here, here's this new thing about me that you've never you know no one's ever thought about before <laughs> it's it's this this is the God I am in your life yeah. i'm 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 with you, I'm in you, I'm yeah. walking with you as you're walking with me. It's those sorts of at least in my experience that intimate well moment. and
1: I think sometimes there are branches of Orthodox Christianity that in an attempt to try to keep people from getting off track into these revelations mm-hmm. that lead people astray yeah i think sometimes they turn god into a mute who as if he can't speak anymore right well, god still speaks mm-hmm. and so you know there, we, there, we, we want to be careful each side here but mm-hmm. god is never going to speak you know, in contrast to the accurate interpretation of his word yeah. Um, and, um, so, you know, I, I worship and I live and I walk with, I live with and walk with a God who is alive mm-hmm. and who speaks and who, and he's, you know, he's a person and he it can be known. He's not mute. <laughs> yeah, yeah It's not like he just only has spoken. No, he, he's still speaking through his word. The word is living. And he's still speaking through, you know, a, the the preaching and the teaching, exactly. That's, and, yeah, mm-hmm. and the community and sharing. Yeah. And So um, sometimes, you know, we, I want to be careful, but I don't want to to elevate the the, the word of God uh, in terms of revelation so high that 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 becomes the, the last time God ever spoke was two thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have to be careful.
0: Yeah, yeah. Have to be careful, absolutely. Well, yeah. and and just like you said, part of our prayer, part of our hope, part of the impetus of our ministry, is that God might speak mm-hmm. through through us. Yeah. And, you know, as we're what, exegeting you, the word and all. And, those and sorts what of is things. prayer
1: if mm-hmm. if God doesn't speak? Mm-hmm. It's it's I'm, it's like it's like a, <laughs> a person visiting their their grandfather. In the hospital, in a nursing home, who, who, because of a stroke, he can't speak. So you're just you're talking to him, but he can't understand, or maybe he can understand, but he can't speak back to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's kind of a goofy illustration. But in a way, I think that's the way some people almost view God: is I visit him, I tell I speak to him, but of course he can't speak to me because he's, you know, he's mute. Right, well, right. Th- 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 sometimes people's or doctrine of revelation turns God into a mute nursing home codger you know <laughs> no god god prayer yeah. is a conversation mm-hmm. and so i always want to pray with the bible nearby you know in my hands or yeah. open and mm-hmm. praying through his word but God can speak to me, and I can hear Him. Yeah, and um, for sure, He wants to be in relationship with us.
0: Yeah, and, and praise God for that. Amen. And, um, Does that and, beep mean that we're done with? The, you know, that's a good question. I think <laughs> I think it means we're out of film. It may it may mean that. So, but but that, I mean, this is a great place to end. Either way, it, it just. Remembering that God is actively revealing Himself to us Amen. in the Word, you know, as we're as we're walking with Him. Amen. I mean, that's there's there's nothing more I oh, would want for glad.
1: yes, yes, for,
0: for my life and for the life of those around me. So. Hey man, this was a great time to be together. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Likewise. So until then, or sorry, until next week. Well, actually, I won't be here next week. This, I feel like every time I say that, well, you then followed up by saying, "Well, yeah, actually, I yeah, won't be here. Yeah, next yeah, I'm going to be in New
1: Jersey next week."
0: Well, well, preaching. actually, uh, next week. So we've got live preaching this Sunday mm-hmm. in all of our campuses, mm-hmm. and so what well, we'd love to try to pull together some sort of roundtable with with all those guys coming together. It's yeah. it's a good time. So yeah. we'll, we'll see if we can land something like that for. For our listeners, it'd be really fun. But until then, we will sign off. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.